Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. When I got my Keurig Brewer, I loved it so much I decided to name it. The right name had to fit my many sides, from the bold dark roast side to the soft herbal tea side. I landed on Freddy. Yeah, Freddy. It works for me. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder people actually name their Keurig Brewers. Visit Keurig.com for more info. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We're about to inspire you with the stories of real people. Welcome to A Current Life with your host, Jimmy Gould. In the next hour, you will meet one of the most interesting and successful people in the world. Listen as Jimmy gets their real story of success, both the highs and the lows. We hope that you take with you some of the ideas we will share today and embrace your own journey. Now, here's Jimmy. Welcome to another edition of A Current Life. I'm your host, Jimmy Gould, and I'm very excited and honored to introduce you to my special guest this week, Margaret Buchanan. Welcome to A Current Life, Margaret. Thanks, Jimmy. It's great to be with you. Uh, if you'll bear with me, I want to give you a proper introduction. Margaret Buchanan is the president and publisher of Inquire Media and the vice president of the Gannett Interstate Group. She's the first woman to hold the position of president and publisher since the founding of the Inquire in 1841. Before joining the Inquire, she was at the she was the president and publisher of the Star Gazette in Elmira, New York. She held the same title at the Idaho Statesman and Bose and was the vice president of the Pacific Newspaper Group. In 2008, Margaret was named the top publisher in Gannett U.S. Community Publishing. Margaret, thank you for being here, and we're honored to have you. And, uh, um, you know, we've got a lot to talk about what the life of a publisher is like and uh, kind of what your days are like. But I want to start with the early years. I understand you were born in... Brantford, Ontario, Canada. So what was that like, and where is Brantford? Well, Brantford, Ontario, Canada, if you don't know, is the home of Wayne Gretzky. So if you're a, it's its claim to fame, as far as I can tell, from what most uh, people, when I tell them where I'm from, they all know who he was. So uh, <laughs> Brantford, Ontario is a, a small town about an hour north and west of Toronto, Canada, um, would be the best way to describe it. And um great place to to uh, live as a young child and uh, but i i left there when i was 6 years old so um so i didn't really spend a lot of time there but uh, i'm always very proud of my canadian roots and have never forgotten that so what got you to uh cincinnati how did your family you know what what brought them here um it was my father's job we actually left uh canada and moved to zanesville ohio 
another small community, which was fun, and we lived there until I was in the sixth grade. And then his job changed, and he took a new job in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we moved to Cincinnati then. And then I stayed and graduated uh, high school in Cincinnati. So what were you like as a little girl growing up? Were you, I mean, kind of give us a little bit of background because, you know, you're, you're a publisher, you're the president of a, of a newspaper, of a, of a publishing company, and um, did you ever, like, get in trouble or were you, like, kind of a, what were you like? <laughs> I guess it probably depends on who you ask, but I'll give you my version. How's that? Um, you know, I always like to have fun, and... Um, and uh, I wasn't one who liked to sit still, so uh, if uh, you were my teacher, you would probably always remember me as one of those that uh, preferred to talking with friends and uh, enjoying myself and sometimes probably paying attention to the teacher like I should have. So um, so I like to have fun. I like to be with friends. Um, I love sports. I liked being active. Um, and um, I just... You know, just enjoying life. We uh, we love to ski as a family, so skiing was a big part of our lives. And uh, my father had a ski resort in Canada, and we always went there many times during the winter. And so I learned to to ski and and ski race. And so I love the thrill of racing. And um, so I, I was always a risk taker and liked to push the boundary, so to speak. And um, but. Um, but I had a lot of good times, so I, I had a great childhood. I was very fortunate. Uh, you know, I, I always ask, uh, you know, our guests kind of a, a few of the similar questions, kind of like, what was their wow moment? When did you figure out that you wanted to go into journalism or, and be and, and do what you're doing today? You know, I mean, um, you know, was there a moment in time? Was there something that you particularly latched onto? Uh, we both have children, and uh, where I'm always looking for those wide eyes where they know what they want to do, and and and, and we know each other's childrens. And of course, right. when I was growing up, I I honestly tried a lot of things before I figured out. At a, actually a later age, uh, probably at the end of my 20s or early 30s, what I really wanted to do with my life. It took a long time for me, and I'm just curious. Did you know right away, or and what were some of the influences that got you to that place? You know, um, I, I always knew that I wanted to run a business. Um, some people would say I was an adult um, early in my life, and um, and uh, I always wanted to be older than I was, even when I was 12, 13, 14. And, um, I, and I had, my father had a lot of, uh, of influence on me. I, I loved what he did. I loved how watching him manage companies, and I just thought that was the greatest thing to do and so from an early age I knew I wanted to run a business I just didn't know what kind of business and how I was going to do that um, and you know my my career took a lot of different paths before I had the opportunity to run a business and ultimately that meant running a the pub, a publishing business so um, so I knew I what what I wanted to do but I didn't know how I was going to get there but I but that goal drove me to ultimately get there um, so when so, you were in like when you were in high school at Sycamore High School in Cincinnati you know um, you were just uh, uh, were you on a school newspaper did you do certain things like that or was it still kind of where you were kind of watching from afar I always learn by watching and observing people. Yeah, you know, I have always loved current events. My father and mother uh loved uh 
the news of the day. We always talked about um, world events and national events, and and I just from an early on had a passion for what was going on in the world. I loved politics. Um, I was always interested in it. I loved reading the Wall Street Journal, the Inquirer, um, even back then. And um, and so I I was just always intrigued by the news, so to speak. And um, and I think it was my interest in news and my love for. Um, reading and, and understanding current events and world events that ultimately um, led me to get into um, the publishing business. And um, and then I got to shape it and be a part of it, and that made it even more um, fun. How much of the business, and we're going to talk in our second segment a little bit about this, but how much of the business is, is the journalism part? How much is the business part when you're in your role? I would say to today, um, sixty to seventy percent of it is the business, and thirty percent of it's the journalism side. Um, probably when I got into the business, it was more fifty-fifty, sixty-forty. But just the pressures of the economy and the changing business model has really caused me to spend more time on the business side and less so on the journalism side. But what I love, you know, and I, I grew up on the Enquirer, so, I mean, I, it, I don't start my day without a cup of coffee in the Enquirer. So, I mean, you know, the whole dot-com thing, and I know you wrestle with news as it's, it's so current and it happens so quickly, and then yet you don't want your people to stop reading their newspapers. And, you know, but I get up early, and I go down the end of my driveway and, you know, my robe, and I get my newspaper, the Enquirer, and if it's not there... Other than call you, I call about everybody else at the Enquirer, and it's always usually there. And and I read that, and I read the New York Times, and I get my coffee. And, you know, and I grew up also with a huge mentor in my life, someone you know well, Bill Keating. Right. And, you know, I, I've known him since I was very little, and he was very close to my father. And I always looked at publishers as people that you admired and you looked to and you had respect because they carried such a heavy burden for the community on their shoulders because they could make or break so many things. And I always kind of looked at it like that. And I felt that they have to be fair-minded people and they have to be people who have great deal of interest and commitment and trust. And that's kind of how I looked at it. Is that a fair way of putting it, do you feel? Yeah, yeah. I think that's absolutely, you couldn't have said it any better. But I have to also thank you for being such a loyal reader and uh, loving to read a newspaper because um, uh, we have a lot of great loyal readers in the, in the Cincinnati marketplace who feel just the way you do. And uh, we couldn't uh, do it without you. So thank you. And I'm glad to hear that, the, for the most part, the paper's delivered on a consistent <laughs> basis for you. So <laughs> you know you can always call me, Jimmy, if it uh, isn't uh, uh, delivered to you. But uh, once in a while. It's only happened once or twice, and, and you didn't want to be on the other line. Because i got to <laughs> tell you, honest to God, there are a few things in life uh, that, that, you know, it's behavior. And, and, and I read this great uh, story that you had in the Enquirer one day. It was a while back, or it was maybe a letter I got about how you're going to deal with the, the dot-com information from Enquirer versus, you know, what is – because everybody waits for those scores, and nobody wants to – you know, they want to read about it, right? Especially right. the sports. And right. and you were trying to figure out how am I going to give my my readers, you know, the full story, but yet also develop this whole dot com. And I imagine it's kind of a fine line, and then 
and a tough road to kind of travel on that today, right? I mean, because, you know, managing news today is a, just a different world than what it used to be. It is. It's a 24-7 business today versus... 20 years ago, you just had to worry about putting out the newspaper, and it was on a news cycle, and you didn't have to worry about breaking the news uh, online and um, and tweeting and social media and uh, and everything else that goes with it. So it's a 24-7 business today versus how it was for many, many years. And um, But that's what makes it exciting, and, you know, we are changing, and and uh, you've got to keep changing with the times, which is something I, I love. I, I wouldn't enjoy if everything was the same day in and day out. So um, to me, it's an exciting time to be in the business. But it's also important to remember how important the role of what a traditional newspaper still plays in the community and not to lose sight of that as we are adapting and transforming to um, the new media and um, because it has a different set of standards and a different set of needs. And so it's balancing that and, and not to lose sight of all of that. But um, I, asked, I asked Bill the question. He came down to visit me not too long ago and spend, spend a, a kind of couple hours with me just sitting and talking because I really admire him. And, and I asked him how difficult it was to balance the role of the business part with the journalism part. Mm-hmm. And and you know and especially as newspaper consolidation occurred and, and more media, you know, businesses were built rather than just one-off newspapers. Right. Um, and you know, um, and I'm curious from your point of view what your answer is that he because he said it's not an easy thing to do sometimes. No, I mean, it's you know, not. And I mean, um, you, you talk. Bill Keating is is one of the most respected uh, men in the industry and certainly in Cincinnati as a newspaper publisher I admire him like you do and so he's always been someone I've uh, tried to live up to but you you know I've always taken this attitude that I have to be able to live with myself um, and 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 what I do and in the decisions we make here and um, and if people can't trust me and I can't um, uh, do the right things and and um, communicate to the community the and the facts and do it in a balanced way and um, then you know I'm not doing my job and I can't live with myself so it is a very fine balance and and there are times that I'm in board meetings that um, you know I'm I have to balance what I hear in a board meeting as confidential and and uh, let my newsroom sometimes just go find out what they should be doing because that's what their jobs are. And uh, and so if I don't have trust amongst uh, the communities, um, I, I don't have anything at the end of the day. So it is a fine line. And Bill, has, Bill did a fabulous job, and I've tried to follow in his footsteps as best as I can. Well, I think that's actually the goodwill that you've established with the newspaper and its brand with with the community because, you know, People like myself and other people. I mean, if I travel out of town, believe me, I miss it. Uh, yeah, it's not the same. I mean, they say, "What newspaper do you want?" And invariably, either get the New York Times or Wall Street Journal, or maybe if I don't really want to focus too hard, I'll get you know USA. But it's not complete when I don't get the Inquirer, and, and I just because it's just you know it's when you're fond of something and it's part of you. Right. And I get and and I think that has a lot to do with our tradition and the way our community is and the way we've all grown up. And, you know, I grew up here and I moved away for a long time and came back and I care about what happens here. And I try to every day to try to add some value to what goes on. So 
I, I do respect the job you're doing. You've done a great job with it. I, I, I'm curious about one thing. When you went to the University of Cincinnati, you got an undergraduate degree in marketing and an MBA. You know, at, at that point in time, what was your goal? Like right then and there, when you say, okay, I'm going to get a degree in marketing. Because we have a lot of listeners from all over the, the world that listen to the show, and they archive it, and it's downloaded on iTunes, and, you know, it goes into like almost 180 countries that it's available in. And, and we get a lot of emails from younger people who go, well, I want to be a publisher. You know, how do I go about it? What should I study in school? Same as when they ask me about a sports agent. You know, what do you tell them? And, and what were, where were you at at that time? Well, I I will back up. I had the very uh, great fortune of being a co-op student at the University of Cincinnati. And so for your listeners who don't know what that means, I, uh, for the, it was a five-year program for my undergraduate program. And I, after my sophomore year, every other quarter, I worked. And that's when I worked for Cincinnati Bell back then. And so by the time I finished my undergraduate work, I, I had uh, a lot of fabulous experience already under my belt that made it me very attractive from a recruiting standpoint. And um, I, I learned so much that, and I was able to kind of decide the things I didn't want to do and and did want to do, and uh, and 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 that was a great asset for me. And I look back over the years of my life, and and that gave me a great head start over many of my peers who might have been smarter and maybe done better and. Um, but people, companies want people who um, have experience. And when you can come out of college with some business acumen, it puts you in a much better uh, competitive situation than someone who just went to school for four years. And so, well, so that helped me greatly to know kind of what I wanted to do and not want to do. Um, the, uh, yeah. You know, I, I, I do think that school today is um, – and, and we have a program with schools like Indian Hill and some of the other schools and with the University of Cincinnati and with Xavier and other schools uh, where the kids come and get credit for working with us and mm-hmm. private equity and then sports and the entertainment stuff we do. And they come in here and they have one sense of what life is going to be like. And then somebody will say, you know, go get that coffee and make sure that it's exactly the color white that we want it and all that stuff. They go, well, what has that got to do with anything? And you know, invariably they get the lecture of, well, if you can't get the coffee right, you're probably not going to get anything else right. So <laughs> let's see if we can get that one right. Then we'll move on to something else. And we laugh. All of us have laughed. And we and I actually yesterday met with some of the teachers, and we were talking about that. And and it's amazing that when you actually go into the real world from school mm-hmm. and you actually apply it, it does change you, and it does make you so much – it advances you – so that when you go in for a job interview or people are recruiting you, you know, you can sit there and say, yeah, I did that. I worked with these people. You know, they were difficult. You know, I had to go do this. I had to go do that. And all of a sudden, it's not so foreign, you know, because you're, you're getting off. Uh, it's kind of like you've already gone through the tunnel. And, yeah. and, 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 all, and your eyes are a little bit adjusted to, you know, what, what reality is. And I think that's one of the things in school today. I think we should have co-op programs with everything that we do, actually starting in the junior year, if not definitely not the beginning of the senior year. I, I do, too. I think it really just helps students kind of decide what they like and don't like, and that, ma- that matters. It, it helps them sort through and, I think, end up maybe doing something that they really want to do, um, and, um, and they'll be better they'll be better for it and they'll be happier and I think all those things are important so um, so I have been a big proponent of of 
co-ops and internships and all of those things. So I, I couldn't stress more how important that is for for um, any student who's whether they're in high school or in college. So, so I didn't necessarily know what I was going to do when I got out. Um, I went to work um, with the company that I'd co-opt with because they offered me a great job, and um, and I would have never gone to work for IBM had I not had that experience because they usually hired from the Ivy schools back east and. Uh, sure. Um, but they um, got to know me and and um, and asked me to join them. So it, it leads you to um, having doors open to you that you might not otherwise have open to you as well. So um, so. Well, I agree I with you. I um, it's gonna we're gonna take a short break. This is Jimmy Gould with my special guest Margaret Buchanan, and you're listening to a current life brought to you by Smartwater Ohio Midwestern College and the AdSpace Mall Networks. Please stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. When I got my Keurig Brewer, I loved it so much I decided to name it. The right name had to fit my many sides, from the bold dark roast side to the soft herbal tea side. I landed on Freddy. Yeah, Freddy. It works for me. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder people actually name their Keurig Brewers. Visit Keurig.com for more info. The stove, the refrigerator, all the pots and pans. The sink? Sure, take the kitchen sink too. Yeah, pretty much everything in the kitchen I could live without if I had to. Except, of course, my Keurig Brewer. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder your Keurig Brewer is the favorite thing in your kitchen. Visit Keurig.com for more info. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould. If you have a question or comment for Jimmy or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd like to send an email, the address is acurrentlife at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to A Current Life. This is your host, Jimmy Gould, and today I have a very special guest here with me, Margaret Buchanan, the president and the publisher of Inquire Media. Margaret, in 1986, you briefly joined the Enquirer as a general executive. What were your kind of fond memories from that time, and did you realize that you would return to the company years later? You know, Jimmy, I had no idea I would uh, return to um, the Cincinnati Enquirer years later. I, I, I will tell you that experience that I had as a general executive um, was a fabulous experience because I got to... Um, spend time in every aspect of the business. I worked in the mail room, in the press room. I worked in the newsroom. I, I sold advertising um, uh, 
so I got to experience every um, every job function for the most part during my time, and it it really helped me to understand the business and understand employees and what they did and what their interests were and um, at a at an entry level as well as um, at the C-suite as well. And so it, it really helped propel my career and and um, it helped me be successful as I have over the la- um, number of years that, that I've been in the publishing business. So it was a very special time. It was a... Um, it, it was a gift because not a lot of people get that kind of opportunity, right. and um, I just tried to take advantage of it, and and I think because of that kind of experience, I'm where I am today. So you, you left Cincinnati and went with the Rockford Register Star in Rockford, Illinois, in 1987 right. as an advertising and marketing director until 1996. Was it hard for you to leave Cincinnati at that time, and... and 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 go to like a new city and also kind of a whole new position, new newspaper and everything like that. You know, it wasn't hard for me to leave because I had been I was a, as a young person I had been in Cincinnati for a very long time and I was really aching to get out and go experience other places. And um, so I was ready to go, and it didn't matter where I went. I, I was kind of a new experience, and um, I had just gotten married. And so we decided that we'd go, and it's outside of Chicago, and what better city in America to be close to than uh, Chicago, Illinois. So, um, so it was an adventure, and we took off, and um, and we made the most of it. So, um, so it wasn't hard for me. And maybe if I had lived a lot of places before that, it it might have. But I was ready to explore something different. Well, your husband, Greg, who I know, is also is he also from Cincinnati? Did you meet him in Illinois? I met him in Cincinnati, but he's not from Cincinnati. He's from Erie, Pennsylvania. Okay. So uh, he was up for the move when you moved? He was, believe it or not. Um, he was always been in the banking business, which has always provided him with a lot of um, versatility in terms of there's always a bank in most cities you go to, and um, he's always been on the commercial lending side of things. And to his credit, uh, he was willing to move and uh, let me uh, take advantage of this opportunity, and and um, I will always be uh, uh, indebted to him for that. Because uh, you can see since then he moved a lot of other places with me <laughs> as well. So not a lot of men willing to do that, but uh, he's been a fabulous um, husband in that regard. Well, I mean, uh, uh, you you went from there, and you went to Bose, and and obviously, you know, you're 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 married, and you're you know building a life, and and luckily he was in the banking business, which obviously they got banks in every city, and obviously what he did was valuable to them, and and you know, but I'm curious because during this time there weren't a lot of women publishers in the business, right? I mean, right. you know, you're you know, and so you know, it's kind of like um, uh, the question. Um, I actually asked Hillary Clinton when she was in town the same question because, you know, it was kind of like the tables were turned and all of a sudden she's running for president and 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 Bill was going to have, of course, it wasn't a difficult transition if he had gone to the White House because he had been there <laughs> once before. But how difficult was it being a woman in a male-dominated enterprise, you know, with not a lot of role models for you? Right, right. Well, Fortunately for me, uh, I work for a company who has always 
um, led with diversity, supported diversity, supported, in, in my case, women um, in executive positions. And so I was very fortunate to work for a company who made me feel very welcomed and very supportive. And, and uh, if you know, as long as I did my job and delivered results, the opportunities were there for me. And um, I, I know that that's been... Um, something that's special. Not all companies um, are quite operate that way. And um, so that's why I think why I'm still with Gannett today, because they've always afforded me opportunities. um, And I've never felt that um, I couldn't, uh, you know, have a position if I earned it and and went for it. So um, they've just that's just been their culture and they haven't changed. So as you look at Rockford, and you look at Bose, and you look at, at Elmira, and you come back to Cincinnati in 2003 as the president and publisher of the Inquirer. What were the slants politically and, you know, conservative versus kind of progressive? I mean, how much of that plays a role into, first of all, the geography where you're going, the mindset of where you're going, and, and then kind of, you know, how you have to adapt to that? Obviously, you stick to your principles as much as you can or completely, but yeah. the effect of what's going on in those particular environments obviously play a role, correct? Yeah. Interestingly, all of the communities I have been in have, for the most part, been um, uh, you know, moderate to conservative communities, which is interesting. Um, uh, you know, the differences really are in New York. The politics is very different in New York than any place I've lived, and I'm sure you can appreciate that. It's a, um, it's a very intense, competitive, even in, in upstate New York, um, you know. So you, you really have to appreciate the nuances of the state, upstate, downstate New York, and in upstate New York, they just assume, think that no one... Uh, that uh, it was a separate state from New York City, which um, had its own set of politics. So it's really about how politics operates in the state. And when I lived out in Idaho, uh, they have a different um, definition of conservatism. And so what I always thought was conservative from a political perspective in Cincinnati, having grown up here, is very different than the definition of conservatism out in Idaho. So it's really understanding how different the politics are, not necessarily what is conservative, what is moderate, and what is liberal, because I used to always laugh in Idaho that um, uh, if you're a Democrat in Idaho, you're a Republican in uh, most states uh, in the rest of the country. So um, so it's really, that's the, more the difference than, um, because it varies in this country by state and by geography, um, how politics works and what the real definition of um, Republicans and Democrats and what they stand for and how strong they feel about it. And, and so that's where I really had to adapt and, and understand those nuances and, and make sure that the, the paper reflected them. Well, I actually think, not to get too far off the subject, but a lot of that comes into play. And I think I read a column recently in, in the Inquirer, Thomas Friedman wrote, um, about um, you know the Arab Spring, but really more about how the ge- geography and the things play out. I forget exactly who wrote it, but you know uh, there's a lot more at, at play when you have resources, you don't have resources, and what particular community 
struggles with, which is going to be different depending upon what the resources are and what they have available. You know, when you came to the inquiry, I read a quote uh, from you. You said, to win readers, you have to listen to what it is they want out of their newspaper. Then you have to know how to translate that into your daily product. and You have to be consistent in delivering that kind of product that they want every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was a great quote because, uh, you know, you start with, with something that most people are incapable of doing, which is listening. Right. Um, you know, because you get a lot out of listening, and then you can kind of shape from there. So tell me a little bit about that quote and when you came to the Enquirer, what you, what you encountered, and what the feeling was like being given the role of president and publisher of the Enquirer. Hmm. Well, those are two big questions. Um, just becoming president and publisher of the Cincinnati Enquirer was a huge honor. I mean, I never dreamed in my wildest dreams that I would come back in that position. I always say, had that been my goal, it probably would have never happened, but uh, uh, timing was everything, and it did happen. And so it was a great honor and um, something that I'll never forget when I came back here, and and certainly not a position I... Um, Necessarily was comfortable in at first because it's a it's a big position and all of a sudden you find yourself in in that position in this city and you realize the enormous responsibility and and the role that it requires and so so I had to grow into the to the role to be really honest with you and um, but it was uh, it, it, that was an honor in terms of listening um, you know every community is different to your point and. It, the worst thing a publisher can do is come in and assume that um, the way that a, the community they had been in um, wants things is the way um, the community you're, you're, you're now serving um, also expects and wants, because it really does vary by geography in this country and then by the size of the community. You know, very small communities like Elmira, New York, have very different needs and wants um, in, in terms of reflecting the issues of that community versus Cincinnati. You know, we how, have a. How have you over those over the last nine years? Uh, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. Over those nine years that you've been here in this role, how's it changed for you? Because you went on and said there are a lot of complex issues that we need to figure out. Right. I just need to spend time talking, listening, asking a lot of questions. But we need to get a vision for this newspaper, and that's really what I've got to do over the next twelve months. Right. Uh, and it's so much different, than, in my opinion, than what it was when you came, because I was here. I actually, you know, uh, had been back and forth, having lived in New York and California and other cities, Washington, and then back in Cincinnati, where I'm from. And I've seen a tremendous change in, in, in the newspaper, um, and I think for the better. So um, what, what, what is the differences that you feel have occurred over those nine years that you've been here? Well, I hope people would say that that we reflect the greater region. Um, I, I think we were very city-centric when I got here, um, and, and too many, um, uh, too much of our newsroom and our resources were focused just on the city of Cincinnati, and, but when you looked at where all of the household growth and, and where, the, where the citizens were living, um, a, a lot of people had moved out to um, the sub- suburbs and over into northern Kentucky. Um, and then you have the nuances of having um, northern Kentucky in a different state with very different wants and likes and interests. And we weren't honoring and respecting those nuances as well. And so I, I think what I've tried to do is help the organization understand that 
northern Kentucky has interest and needs that are different than the city of Cincinnati, that are different than the suburban uh, communities, and that we need to reflect the whole region and, and that we're not just a city newspaper. And, um, it, it, and so that's what I have tried to focus on over the nine years. And then as, as that has translated uh, more and more to the web, and, and what we need to be doing there as well, making sure that we're reflecting that. We have a different website for northern Kentucky than we do for Cincinnati to make sure that we're reflecting um, northern Kentucky through nky.com and cincinnati.com. While it's a general uh, website for all, um, northern Kentucky can feel like they have theirs, and that's important to them. So it's listening and understanding those nuances that is so important to this community. If anyone knows Cincinnati, you can't just assume that everybody lives in the city of Cincinnati. So let me ask you a question as, as the publisher and, and um, as the president. Um, and I wondered about this the other day because I think I picked up the paper and there were three major stories happening at the same time. One was Joey Votto getting $225 million, uh, fellow Canadian. Uh, one was Trayvon Martin's death and, and, and Zimmerman being arrested. And the other one was Syria breaking the truce. So I'm you, and I'm in a room, and I'm trying to figure out how my front page of my paper is going to look. And this is, I find, <coughs> where you just an- how you just answered your question. We're not just a small local paper anymore. I mean, everything that goes on around the world touches us immediately right, right. now. And and so, how do you deal with those three issues? I may be off a little bit on that, but just assume I'm right. Those three issues hit you, and you got to figure out, okay, what are the headlines going to be, and somebody's going to be making that decision, and, and where does your job come in, and where do you, and how do you deal with that? Well, what I tried to do from my perspective, because really, ultimately, those are the decisions being made by my editor and, and her team, but, you know, we have a philosophy that we need we can't just be a local newspaper that we have to our readers want to know what's going on in the world um in the nation but they also want to make sure we reflect the important local stories and so there's always that balance at any given time sometimes the stories will all be all local and the world and national will put played inside but in those cases those are two really important um one's a national one's a world story that um deserved that kind of play along with Joey Votto, which is a big local story for Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. So every day they make those decisions in the newsroom and balancing, um, you know, what's important, world, national, and local. And um, sometimes we don't get it right, and you'll, we hear from readers, but for the most part, because we try to understand our market, our readers want um the world, the national, and the local, and they expect that from us. And so we have to make sure we balance that every day as to what's really important on the front page um, and what deserves the front page. And sometimes it is all local, and because it deserves to be such, depending on the stories, like when the earth, when the tornadoes hit. Sure. That was an all, you know, hands on deck, local, huge story, and it consumed the website, the the, the newspaper for a few days, so it varies. It, but they—that's what talking and, and understanding our marketplace, um, how that helps us. And so that's where I play that role. And then they're making the decisions every day. And if I think they've missed it, you know, I pick up the phone and we talk about it and we learn from it. And um, well, I thought you got it right, and I thought it was a different front page because you kind of touch, 
you teased with the mention of Votto, but then it was clearly the front page of the sports page. Right. But you got enough so that it was so significant, you were showing the Reds that, hey, this is a significant commitment, which it was. Yep. And yet you were showing national and international news at the same time because obviously none of us are immune to what's going on around the world. I had that debate and discussion with Kelton Kennedy, and, and, you know, we're all part of the global village today, and, and, and I know that that's got to be one of the hardest parts of your job is weighing those things out on a daily basis. They are, and readers let us know when we don't get it right. <laughs> I can imagine. As they should. Imagine. As they should. Well, we're going to take our last break. Uh, it's Jimmy Gould with my special guest, Margaret Buchanan. You're listening to A Current Life brought to you by Smartwater. Ohio Midwestern College and Adspace Mall Networks. Please stay tuned. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you have career aspirations that seem beyond what you think you can afford? At Ohio Midwestern College, you can transform your hard work into a bachelor's degree in business administration, education, or Christian ministries. Call 1-888-887-4300 or check out www.omw.edu to learn how you can afford a fully accredited degree today. Ohio Midwestern College. Affordable. Professional. Genuine. Our open enrollment starts today. Call us now at 1-888-887-4300 or on the web at www.omw.edu. That's 1-888-887-4300 or on the web at www.omw.edu. Tune in to the Hoffman Connection for inspiration, a life of passion and purpose. Hosts Raz and Grossi and Ed McLoon will bring you ways to remove the blocks in your life that are holding you back. Along with their guest experts, Raz and Ed will use their experience and expertise to help you learn to get closer to what matters to you most, and by doing so, improve your life and the lives of others. The Hoffman Connection can be heard live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould. If you have a question or comment for Jimmy or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd like to send an email, the address is acurrentlife at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to A Current Life. This is Jimmy Gould, your host, and today I'm joined by Margaret Buchanan, the president and publisher of Inquire Media. Margaret, I have to ask you this question because you have so much responsibility and what we read when it comes out, obviously you have a lot of people who either agree with you or don't agree with you on a daily basis, and, and I know you and I know that you take those things to heart. Uh, are you a perfectionist, and does it bother you when someone finds a mistake in one of your papers or if an editor doesn't catch something and it runs? How do you deal with that? Because... You know, you have a finished product every day. I mean, that's just, like, amazing to me, every day. You know, right. and, and, and people read it, and a lot of people read it. And 
it has an impact, and as it says, it's something that people get used to. So how do you deal with that? Well, I don't know that I'd call myself a perfectionist, but I think people would tell you that I have very high standards. Okay. So when I don't feel like we've lived up to those standards, that you know, obviously the, uh, you, you get frustrated, and and because you you expect more, um, and you want your your publication in, in your newspaper to to be what it needs to be every day. So, um, so I have conversations, and we talk about it. If I don't think our standards are where they should be, and we, uh, um, you know, so that next time around they won't make that mistake again and we'll we'll produce the paper that we know we can and should be producing and nobody's perfect and so all we can do is continue to strive to do our best and uh, so sometimes i uh you know you get frustrated as most people do and but most of the time you know you just sit down and i talk with people and we talk through it and we understand why it didn't happen and we figure out how we make sure it doesn't happen again so so it's my high standards that people would tell you that um uh, i I'll probably hold myself to a higher standard than than most, and as a result, I hold hold others who report to me in the same way. And sometimes that can be easy, and sometimes that cannot be so easy for people. So, well, I like the strategic view because you're taking a broader view and giving people an opportunity to kind of raise their the bar a little bit. So mm-hmm. I, I I admire that. The uh, so, what's the hardest part of your job, and what's the most fun part of your job? <coughs> Or I could say, as my kid says, what's the funnest part of your job? I hate that word. <laughs> I know. When he goes to school, when he comes over, he says, I had the funnest day today. And I went, you're changing schools. I know. <laughs> what, 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 what is the hardest and what is the most fun part of your job? You know, I, the, the two, two areas that are the most fun for me is I love being out and seeing customers. I love getting out of the office and spending time with advertisers, with readers, because that's where you really realize um, what a difference you make. And I always learn something from them that I can bring back and make um, Inquire Media a better um, organization and ultimately serve them better. So I always feel reinvigorated and and um, it just makes me happy when I am doing that versus sitting in meetings all day, which... Um, you do that too many days in a row, you forget uh, that you're serving customers and you think all you're doing is sitting in meetings. So that's, I can take some meetings, but day after day, sometimes that gets really old. So that's the part that's not fun, but sometimes, it is the reality of the job sometimes, and so you just got to do it. But uh, And I also love when I can spend time with the news product and with the, my editor and, and looking um, and talking about how we can keep making the newspaper a, a better product for our community. So when I get a chance to do that, I really love that as well. And I love the editorial board. I love sitting down and having conversations about serious issues that affect our community and, and, and helping to formulate um, ideas and solutions that we can recommend through our editorials. And, and, and I really enjoy that and I always have. Has a particular story really struck you or changed your attitude towards work or life? I mean, as you look back on especially the last nine years or maybe throughout your life, is just something just couldn't leave you, and it just, I mean, we all are faced with that. I don't think it's one, one particular story, but I am always touched by the stories when my reporters write about um, people and how other people affected other people's lives. And 
Um, I, there was a story recently, this past Sunday, a reporter wrote about a, a small um, school in Over the Rhine. It's a, 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 all boys, a small, I think 26 boys, all underprivileged. And how these four teachers, not getting paid a lot of money, and um, have made a difference in these young men's lives. And so it's those kinds of stories that we write and that we bring attention to the good that's going on in our communities and the difference that people are making that just always strike me that either can bring a tear to my eye as I read it and um, and, and know that we're making a difference. And it's those kinds of stories. And, and we do that. And when we do that, I, I think we make a difference in our communities. Now, some people view the media quote, unquote, as troublesome or not always favorable. And how do you feel about that? And do you feel, obviously, they play such a major role in everything we do every day, whether it's political or business or whatever, and can influence so many things. Does that bother you that that, or do you feel that's changed? Do you feel, and I'm not referring to your paper or what you do, but more in a general sense, or do you think that that's not the way it's looked at? No, it, it does bother me because I think in this day and age of 24-7 cable news, and I, I think that it bothers me sometimes that newspapers um, get drawn into all of that. Um, and so it, it, it worries me that um, readers and our communities feel that way about news organizations today um, because we do a lot of good and um but we seem to get more credit sometimes for the things they don't think we're doing uh, uh, well enough and so i worry that that cynicism and that distrust and dislike for media um is trickling down into local newspapers and local media and that may not always be deserving because of the way the national media handles things I can see that, and I, I think particularly when you have the CNN 24-7 watching the Syrian things and the Libya before that, and, mm-hmm. you know, I think the question that I always ask myself, and it's so heart-wrenching, is, you know, are they getting accurate stories? You know, how do they know they're accurate? And they always put a disclaimer, well, we're not sure that, you know, this is actually, you know, that way, because they're getting it from third parties, and we don't even know who those third parties are, like when we got the Egyptian stuff. But the, right. uh, I think that there's just such a change uh, in the world going on. Our world is changing so quickly right beneath our feet every day, every moment. And there's so much loss of hope in so many people and so many people going through troubled times. We talk about this a lot on this show because, in particular, you know, I had a grandfather who grew up you know, during the Depression. And so, you know, I look at what we're going through as pretty depressed. And I don't think we're through it. I think we're through some of it, but I don't think until people get to work and people's home values come back that we'll ever really get through it, regardless of politics. So I'm curious, in your job, what you do every day, you know, how these things really affect you you know, personally, because you do have a lot of responsibility and I do have a lot of power and a lot of influence, and, and, and you do compete with those CNNs and the things that go on. And, and sometimes, you know, I would imagine that, you know, if you're watching it, you're, you're wondering, well, you know, is that really happening? Should I be dealing with that? Should I be dealing with that with my newspaper? What, what, how does that affect you? Well, what's important 
to to me and my organization is that 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 we check out the facts and that we don't get so caught up in a 24/7 that we are that we lose sight of what's important is that's checking the facts and that we don't jump to conclusions and we don't feel like we have to put news up without knowing that the facts are correct and i and that's something we stress uh, we work very hard at and so it's distressing to me when i see you know things get tweeted out or or you know like your example that they're reporting information and it isn't they haven't verified the facts and um so that's something that we take very seriously because that's where our credibility lies when people can't feel like they can trust what we're reporting then to me what do we have left if we don't have our credibility and i worry that in this day of 24/7 that there's too much of a rush to get things out and up and um that uh not checking the facts um hurts the news media credibility in general so that's just something that we you know continue to hold near and dear to us and and make sure that we're not getting caught up in that same kind of got to get it up without knowing that you've checked the facts and everything is accurate I think you're right. It's like the Supreme Court. We got to we got to be able to trust some things in our life as as things start to unravel. Uh, let me ask you this question. We only have a few minutes left. How do you? Well, first of all, you, you and your husband Greg have two sons. One that you adopted uh, from Russia, mm-hmm. and you have a, a, a labradoodle named Fudge. Mm-hmm. And so, I guess my question is: How do you manage your career and motherhood? How do you spend your time when you're away from the paper? How do you unwind after work? Those kinds of questions, because, you know, I do a terrible job at balancing my life, and, and so maybe you could shed some light for me. Other than I was a, I, I loved coaching football, and I love the whole idea of, of raising the boys and being able to spend time with them because they bring me down to earth, you know? So, right. But, but what do you do when you go home, and how do you manage the balance between career and motherhood? Well, I think anyone who who is a mother, whether you work, uh, you decide to stay at home, or you have a, a job outside of the um, home, um, it is just a balancing act. And some t- days you do a better job than that. But I happen to be a fairly organized individual, and um, so being organized has helped me balance. I've had a lot of people help me along the way. Um, friends and people who I've hired to be home when the kids are home from school and and so having help and and then I have a husband who does as much or more than I do at uh at um helping to take care of the boys and and support the family so it is it's uh it's everybody I don't do it alone. I don't profess to do it alone. There are times when I don't do a very good job of it, and uh, there are times I wish I'd have stayed home and spent more time with my children, but it's the decision I made, and so I've just tried to make it the best. So when I come home, my philosophy's always been, up until my kids got to the age that they are now at 17 and 18, is to spend my time with them. And so I didn't spend a lot of time socially going out um, a lot. I tried to spend, um, and we tried to spend our time with our children and do family things And when I wasn't at work. And, and so that helped me balance because sure. if you are with your kids, you don't have a lot of time to be worrying about work um, when they're little and they're young and they're active and you're doing so many things. So that helped me balance it. They, Let me they, add- 
I was just going to say, they reminded me I was their mother and nobody else when I walked <laughs> back in that door every night. <laughs> so we got a minute left. So yep. let me ask you, in your great journey, and, and we appreciate so much that you've shared this with us, we've got about a minute left. As you look back on your journey, what do you feel the meaning of life is? You know, the meaning for life for me is family. To me, it's, it's, family is the most important thing. If if you don't have family and you don't, um, what do you have at the end of the day? It's a pretty lonely world. And I've never lost sight of how important family was. And no matter how important my job was, it was never going to cost me my family or my marriage or my love for my children. And so for me, the meaning of life is always, that's what's grounded me and allowed me to do what I've done is that I've never lost. Um, even though maybe sometimes I've drifted, it, it always brings me back because that family was, is important to me and always will be. And well, I, that's what I base my life on. I want to thank Margaret Buchanan for sharing her journey with us. Uh, it's been wonderful. I'd like to also thank our listeners for turning into a current life on the Voice America Variety Channel. This is your host, Jimmy Gould, signing off. And please join us next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern for our episode with Coach Pat Shermer, the NFL head coach of the Cleveland Browns. And until next time, I wish each and every one of you a journey filled with hope, inspiration, and success. And, Margaret, thank you so very much. I really appreciate you doing this and your friendship. Uh, it means a lot to me. Thank you, Jimmy. It was, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for asking me. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us for A Current Life on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please tune in to another great program with your host, Jimmy Gould, next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time. We'll see you next week. The stove, the refrigerator, all the pots and pans, the sink. Sure, take the kitchen sink, too. Yeah, pretty much everything in the kitchen I could live without if I had to. Except, of course, my Keurig Brewer. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder your Keurig Brewer is the favorite thing in your kitchen. Visit Keurig.com for more info.